Well, uh, this is one of those like warning announcements. Um, I'm going to start this message off a, a little bit rough. Um, I'm speaking for myself and I, I think all of us, I think we maybe need to be shaken up a little bit. So first question, why are we here this morning? Has being here on the first day of the week become a habit? Do we feel in our hearts some kind of a sense of, of, of obligation or guilt? Are we seeking some kind of a reward from God, however small? These are different motives that people actually have, but these are, are wrong reasons because they're less than the best reason. So if any of us came here this morning with these kinds of thoughts and attitudes, let us pray that our ears and hearts will be opened by what happens here this morning so that we will be rebuked, corrected, and trained in righteousness um, so that in God's eyes and by what God's word says we can be more like him with the help of the Holy Spirit another question how do you picture God there's many ways that people picture God um, he's like us only better um, is he someone who we can call on to give us what we want? Um, and how about is he someone who, he always approves of us, he just loves us so much just the way we are, even when we're not opening ourselves up to be changed by him. Again, these are all wrong perceptions of God. And if we are thinking any of these thoughts and, and pictures of God, again, we must soften our hearts in order to be changed. And we must listen to him humbly and carefully. Okay, the truth about God is this. God is awesome. God is infinite. God is powerful. He is the creator of everything, both this vast universe, some 13 billion light years in radius, 27 billion in diameter, as well as each and every human being on this planet. Okay? And he is the holy, righteous, and perfect judge. In fact, judge was in our creed that we said this morning. He will not tolerate any sin, any shortcomings on our part, nor will he allow sin to be in his presence. According to God's word, we have no right to be in his presence. And yet, paradoxically, and this is the amazing thing about God, from the days of Moses on, and this was some 1,400 years before Christ, Yahweh declares himself compassionate 
and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, strong, life-changing love and truth. And he keeps this loving kindness to thousands. He forgives inequity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. That's an exodus. At the same time, the Ten Commandments were given. And God is a mystery not fully known to the human beings that he created. Again, one of my favorite verses, I discovered it a long time ago. It's in Deuteronomy, and you can look it up as you, uh, if you want. But it says... And he said this through Moses again, the secret things belong to Yahweh our God, but the things revealed, now the whole scripture, just five books back then, they belong to us and our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this Torah or instruction. So the Jews very much the first five books, but they still apply to us. So, here's the big question. What has God revealed to us so that we can change? If we have any of those problems that were outlined in the beginning, what can we do to be people that will be pleasing to God? Well, before God's people entered the land that Yahweh had spoken of, even to Abraham back in Genesis 15, uh, on the other side of the river, he again spoke through Moses, and you should have all found this as you were reading Deuteronomy 18. He said that he would raise up a prophet like Moses, and he would put his words in the mouth of this prophet, and he would call to account all who would not hear his words, that means Obey them by faith. Now, if you remember, when Jesus was on earth, the gospel said many people asked him, are you the prophet? They were wondering if Jesus was this prophet, and of course he was. And then later, around 700 B.C., through Isaiah, he spoke. He spoke of a servant of Yahweh, and then through Jeremiah, he said, I'm going to give a new covenant where I will write all of my word on the hearts of human beings. And then through Ezekiel, he said he would put his Holy Spirit in the hearts of people. And then finally and ultimately, in Jesus Christ, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, God fully revealed himself to all people. And Jesus the Savior is both fully God and fully a human being. All in one person. People think about that for a while and you will see what the mystery of God really is. God is a mystery. This is a mystery. And in his death for us on the cross, This, in this death, both a man and God died. How radical is that? God dying? Do we think about this very much? 
but he died so that we may have life. And the Messiah king, Messiah means king, priest could also be the Messiah, Jesus is the king priest. He showed all people by that death, by God dying for us, the extent of God's awesome love for people, his amazing love. And hear me well, this is the most important thing. We must believe all of God's word so that we may do all that he has commanded. So God has commands for us to obey, but he's given us his word to believe, and the two work together beautifully. And if this becomes our lifestyle, if this is how we are living God's way, trust and obey, we can enjoy God's amazing love. This really all came together for me just three years ago. And, and um, as we enjoy his love, people, we should also have a strong desire to fall on our knees in worship, in worship of the amazing three-in-one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So with this background, I think we are now ready to dig into our passage in the book of Philippians. There's an introductory transition verse which basically says all of you must think the same as Jesus Christ. So he starts out with this command, think this in yourselves which also was the mind in Christ Jesus. If you were here last week, if you remember, or you can just look up the the verses preceding this, the Christians in Philippi had been commanded by Paul to give joy to the apostle by having the same mind as God, the God who had given them three wonderful gifts of encouragement, love, and fellowship. And as they uh, also must live by having the same thinking, the thinking of Jesus, which this picks up again, then united with each other in love and thought, their whole souls. And they should not be proud or selfish, but in humility. They should be elevating other members of the body of Christ above themselves. So before spelling out the extent of God's glorious love for them in the God-man, Jesus, they are again commanded as this transitionary command to think the same way as Christ Jesus, who is the king of this vast universe, who became the son of man to reconcile people to God in full salvation, body, soul, and spirit, all that we are. So now, with this as an introduction, the first part of this passage is all about Christ Jesus, who is always the very essence of God, but he emptied himself to be a servant, and he became low to the obedience of death on a cross. So being fully God, he did not uh, hold on to this being God as some proud one, but he emptied himself 
to be fully a servant in the likeness of men. So the first phrase in our passage is who being in the form of God. What does form of God mean? Again, our creed said it. This phrase means that the, you know, Christ Jesus, the Messiah Savior, is eternally the exact essence of God. So for people who say, where does this trinity come from? It's not in the Bible. Well, we need to know how to read it. But right here we're told that there's God the Father and there's God Jesus. Through the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul says, Jesus is God. And he did not consider equality with God something he needed to hold on to or grasp. Jesus knows he is God. He does not need to prove his equality with God to the people he came to reconcile to God. And just think about some human beings you know, okay? Because we are supposed to be in the image of God and we have some of that. No one who is secure in his being, who knows who he is, especially if we know who we are in Christ, will ever be insecure or worry about what other people think. Jesus was on a mission. He didn't care what people thought. He didn't hold on to what was rightly his. It says, but he emptied himself. Now, this is a word, no, it's, very, it's a different word. But this is a rare word, and there's a lot of debate about what it means, and there's a lot of bad theology out there, but... We can't go wrong by just reading a phrase in the context of this phrase. This passage tells us that there were two and only two ways that he emptied himself. First of all, he took on, and there's this word again, the form of a servant or slave. Now, the, the prophet Isaiah uh, spoke well, Yahweh spoke through him. He spoke Yahweh's words of a servant. And you can look up the full of Isaiah 49. But the pertinent points, he says, my servant will be formed in the womb. And he would not only bring back or restore all the descendants of Israel, but would be a light to the nations so that all people might be saved through him. That's why he became a servant. Now this was 700 years before. In 450 AD, the church father Leo the Great said something that I really was taken by. He said that this stooping to be a servant, by doing this, he was doing this in majestic pity which is a synonym for love. This is an expression of the love of God. And uh, uh, again, he was fully man, so he was fully in the form of a human being. And it says, goes on to say the second thing. So not only did he become a servant slave, he became in the likeness of men. And here's another mystery. 
the church father Eusebius said he became what was beneath him in his indulgence and compassion. Again, why did God do this? He loves us. He can't leave us alone. He, but, but by becoming a man, again, this is the mystery of God. I had said it earlier, and now I say it again. Jesus Christ, the Savior, is 100% God, and he's 100% human, the Son of Man, a man, all in one person. Now, what does our arithmetic tell us? One plus one equals two. But the mystery of Jesus Christ, 100% God and 100% man, but only one person. If you stop to think about it, it could blow your mind. And that might be a good thing for our minds to be blown. Then we're told being found every way as a man, he made himself low to obey to death, even death on a cross. So having been found to appear as a man, what does this word appear mean? It means that in every way that humans can assess a person, they found Jesus to be a man. In other words, they perceived him to be a man just as they were. There was no glow emanating from him or anything supernatural that could be perceived by us. And then it says he humbled himself, literally took the lowest place. Okay. Now, when the disciples, because what does this mean? When the disciples asked Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In Matthew's gospel, he said, whoever humbles himself using the same word, becoming as low as this child. And remember, children were not thought of back then the way they are now. Um, they were dependents and they were a lot of work. They were loved, but they were low in society as a whole. He says, if you will become lowly like a child, that will make you great. And then having become obedient until death, literally. So, and again, here's some homework you can do. I don't have time to expand on it. It would be a whole sermon. Um, but um, before Yahweh spoke this whole physical world, all the worlds into existence, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit decided the Son, Jesus the Savior, would die to reconcile people dead in their sins back to Yahweh to become like him. It's Revelation 13. It said those whose names were written in the book of life of the Lamb before the creation of the world. But that's one little positive thing in a very strong warning. This passage is warning that all who are being made holy, who are saints by the faith of the Lamb, must endure patiently in the faithfulness of Jesus. Now this is of the death of a cross. Death is emphatically repeated. In the original, the word order is this. To death, uh, let's see, to death, colon, death even on a cross. 
This is being made very clear. God died. God wants us to know he loves us so much. He was willing to die for us that we may live. This is incredible. I don't know a whole lot about other religions, but I did take a course in college and I do some reading. As far as I know, there is no other so-called God who would die for mere mortals. I mean, this is amazing. God has so much love for broken, sinful people that he died so we can live in him, enjoying his love in the Holy Spirit and faithfully obeying all he has commanded us in his word. The ultimate revelation of God's love is the death of his son on the cross. God's love is revealed by the death of Christ Jesus on the cross. And then the second part of our passage is that so God exalted him, exalted him to the highest and gave him the greatest name so that all will bow and confess he is Lord to the glory of Father God. So yes, he died, but therefore God also exalted him to the highest place. He rose from the dead, and after 40 days he ascended to the throne of the universe at the right hand of God the Father and gave him a name above every name. So here we have another also. Therefore also God raised him, okay? God now exalted Christ Jesus as the Son of Man to the highest place. Just as Jesus said would happen to the invited guests in his parable of the wedding feast. Now, this came to my mind this week, and I have the highlight of it on the back of your bulletin, and you can read it. But Jesus said, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, to a banquet, Sit in the very lowest place because it's better to have the host say, oh, come, my friend, and move up than to be proud and sit someplace and to be knocked back. And Jesus wasn't only just talking to us. He gave us the supreme example when he lowered himself so much as God's suffering servant that he died on the cross for us. And what happened to Jesus? He's exalted to the very highest place right now. We have nothing to fear if we lower ourselves because God through Jesus and the Holy Spirit will see that we too may be lifted up. That's what the parable's all about. And then God freely gave to him the name which is above every name. So after the resurrection of the Messiah, God made it clear that this son of David who would be king forever, was indeed fully God. Again, by giving him the name above every name, which is God's name. Now in a psalm, another one that was written by David, we're told Yahweh's name is exalted above everything. Let me read Psalm 138 too in the Revised Standard 
version. I bow down toward thy holy temple, Yahweh, and give thanks to thy name for thy steadfast love and thy faithfulness. For thou hast exalted above everything thy name and thy word, and Jesus has that name. And then, so in Jesus' name, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Lord is Jesus Christ to the glory of the Father. So the first thing in this last section of the passage is so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those who are subterranean. Now in the Bible, and I've mentioned this in other sermons, especially the Old Testament, worship is expressed by the bowing of the knee and also the placing of the forehead to the ground before God. And now every creature made by Yahweh is worshiping Jesus. So here's an application, people. May we be given grace by the Holy Spirit to imitate and worship Jesus because of all that God's word says about his love, especially his love in Jesus. This is what Paul's been saying to the Philippians. You've made a commitment to Christ, but you need to push on, you need to grow, and we'll see this in the weeks to come. Imitate him, and a good place to start is to worship him on your knees. Okay? If we are to imitate and worship Jesus Christ, we should do it because of the cross, because of his death. And then every tongue should confess the Lord is Jesus Christ. You may have read in some study Bibles or uh, any books about God, the first and simplest creed of the church was merely this, three words, Jesus is Lord. And this is radical. It's radical theologically. It was radical in the Roman Empire because at the penalty of death, everybody was to say Caesar is Lord. Christians couldn't say that. They said, Jesus is Lord. That was all the confession they needed. This confession of submission to Jesus is by faith. And it's the gracious gift of God. You can read that in Ephesians 2. Now, you, it's not even a footnote in our pew Bible, but I remember studying this in seminary what he has done here is he has quoted and updated Isaiah 45, okay? And in this chapter, Yahweh spoke through Isaiah about how people of all nations will turn to God to receive salvation and righteousness. And specifically, this is verse 23. Bottom line, to the glory the glory of God the Father. God is worthy of glory. Why? Because of his amazing, life-changing love. 
that was demonstrated in his son as he died on the cross so that people of all nations, all nations, could be forgiven by faith and become citizens in his kingdom, able to obey all he has commanded. That's the bottom line of the Great Commission. God's love is revealed in the death of Christ Jesus on the cross. Now, I've been going on probably for 25 minutes here. Let me wrap it up in about 75 words. Christians must have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who being fully God, did not hold on to equality with God, but became fully a servant in the likeness of men. He made himself low, obeying to death, death on a cross. And therefore God raised him to the highest place so that all creatures could bow to worship him and confess him as the Lord God, and this is all to the glory of God the Father. God's love is revealed by the death of Christ Jesus on the cross. 